everybody. This is The Simpsons Show. I'm Robbie with my co-host Matt, and we are here to talk about The Simpsons from the beginning. Matt, how are you? I'm fantastic, Robbie. Uh, you know my love for heist movies. The biggest problem with this entire episode is the heist is only the last few minutes. I, yeah, I mean, where I, I don't, hmm, I don't want to rain on people's parade. Seems like people really enjoy this episode. I didn't mind it, honestly, but I don't think I like it. I, it's about publishing. Of course, I'm not going to like it that much. Hi, we are brought to you by your supporters on Patreon. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash The Simpsons Show. For only $2 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content. For $5 a month, you get access to that much, 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 much more. It's the best deal in podcasting. We release a ridiculous amount of bonus content over the many years we've done it now. So you have an entire back catalog of stuff to go listen for only what two bucks, five bucks, best deal in podcasting. This you would, you would, you would never run out of stuff. We release stuff so quickly that you would never run out of. I, you would be yeah, able to listen to us the rest wait, of. Wait, 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 okay, Matt, don't, don't, I don't want to oversell. Okay, <laughs> you know that might be I, when I say it's the best deal in podcasting. I don't mean we have infinite. Look, I, I'm just saying that you, you would eventually go insane from listening to us and not want ever want to listen to anything else. Matt, maybe you should just let me do the selling, and you can just hang out. <laughs> you just hang out, be the pretty face. That's all we need from you. Uh-huh. You just smile. Yeah, right, the you pretty just... face. Oh, boy. That's uh, sad there. Matt doesn't understand that he's handsome. That, guys, I'm really sorry about that. Like, it's not true. That you don't understand? You definitely don't understand that you're handsome, Matt. That's a big problem. Oh, Lord. This week's episode is The Book Job, episode NABF22, originally aired November 20th, 2011, written by Dan Weber, directed by Bob Anderson, received a 3.2 rating with 5.8 million viewers. The episode guest stars Neil Gaiman as himself and Andy Garcia as a nameless publisher. Hasn't that, that character been in The Simpsons before, or is no. this his first time? First time. Really? I don't know if he comes back. Andy Garcia does a great job with the performance, but he does not have a name, which I don't understand still. I do not understand. He is basically one of the antagonists of the story. He does not get a name. How hard is it to name a character? He's just right. a publisher. Uh, there's no chalkboard gag, no couch gag, which I appreciate. You know, they get right to it, and I, like... I don't I think the structure of this is relatively tight, Matt. Like I don't there's not a lot of, there's no filler in this, there's no wasted time. They really do a good job of I don't know. This is not one of those ones you're like, oh, they filled wanted needed to fill five minutes, so that's what they did. No. They get to it real quick. Um I'm gonna need you to temper me, Matt. <laughs> I will try. I will try. I I assumed this would be a a difficult one for you. Right. And I'm going to try and keep it on task, on focus here on this episode and not devolve into tangents about publishing and how it actually works, because uh, there's literally almost none of this episode that is accurate. <laughs> it's almost all wrong. I don't know if they cared. They probably just went, no, we need it this way to make the episode work is is I theoretically I'm guessing. And I'm guessing that's also where they told Neil Gaiman. And he went, eh, OK. <laughs> He's like, oh, I get to be on He's the like, Simpsons. I just want to be on the Simpsons, damn it. I just want to be on the Simpsons. And if I was in Neil Gaiman's position, I'd probably go, yeah, fine. Because he does, he actually does, he's a lot of fun. I like Neil Gaiman in real life, and he does a really good job as just being this a, a fun version of himself in this episode. Nothing against Neil Gaiman. Um, this episode begins with a family, the family at a dinosaur show. I've never seen a dinosaur show like this where it just takes place in like, like a, 
Like it looks like a monster truck rally almost. It, yeah, well, I mean, in an arena where they have set it up, and it's like a monsters on ice kind of thing. It's very odd. It's yeah, like it's just a bunch of robot dinosaurs walking around, I guess. Uh, and the, we see them initially terrify all the children, so most of the crowd runs away in terror. Um, and then it, we it is, but it, this is really like edutainment, right? This is like an educational thing about dinosaurs um, for kids, largely. Um, and it ends with the dinosaurs getting killed by a, a, a you know massive meteor and the the, the family leaving. Um, this is all just kind of this is just inciting incident to get us to what is the actual plot of this episode. To be fair, it gets really it gets there fast. It's within two minutes. We are basically onto the main story mm-hmm. because Lisa, um, because the family leaves the show ends. The family leaves and they see. Uh, offhand, they see one of the dinosaur people, one of the people in the dinosaur costume, and Lisa recognizes her. It's a woman, and she recognizes her because it's quote unquote T. R. Franson, Franson, Francis, excuse me, who in I I don't know if this is I guess this is I they because they brought up Angelica Button before the the Harry Potter yes. analog uh, in the Simpsons and. Supposedly, T.R. Francis is the woman who wrote these books. This is her pictures on the back cover, et cetera, et cetera. But she's in this dinosaur costume. So we have this chase sequence with Lisa and Homer. And Homer eventually falls asleep in a dinosaur mouth, one of the, the stage dinosaur mouths, whatever. Lisa corners this, this woman and is told the horrifying truth about uh, the publishing industry. T.R. Francis, you wrote the Angelica Button books. They're my favorite fantasy novels. Um, yes, it's me, the creator of your beloved magical world, full of whimsy and uh, chapters. Now off you go. Bye-bye now. But why are you working at a dinosaur show? And why did you run away from me? And how did Angelica get a new wand after Baron Morteth burned the Wandwood Forest? And look, you seem like a smart kid, so here's the truth. T.R. Francis isn't real. Of course you're real. Everybody knows you got the idea for this series after an explosion at a crumpet factory knocked you off a double-decker bus. How could that be made up? I'm just an actress they use for the jacket photo. That inspirational life story is pure fiction. Oh, I hate to break it to you, but all the books you kids love are conceived in executive boardrooms. The plots are based on market research. And the pages are churned out by a room full of pill-popping lit majors desperate for work. Publishers rake in the cash, and unsuspecting kids get ten books a year by their favorite author. (gasps) Everything I believed about young adult literature is a lie! (laughs) It's not against the law to sleep in a Tyrannosaurus head. Sir, you're inside an Allosaurus. I demand to speak to my paleontologist. It's important to have a good relationship with your paleontologist. I don't mind that. I don't mind the, the dinosaur bits. Uh, not, uh, you know, jokes about dinosaurs. Uh, I'm not ever going to get angry. They're about always it. fun. Yeah, they make jokes about stegosaurus plates in this. It's fun too. Um, when I say they don't get anything right about the publishing industry in this thing, <laughs> there's literally no facts in this. If you watch this and think this is anything representative of the truth. You are incorrect, and it's this is the the thing that is most and, and it detracts 
for my enjoyment of the episode. I think this episode is well-structured. It made me laugh. I think Neil Gaiman does a good job. Uh, it's they're, they're, it, it does pretty much lay out a, a very good, fun kind of parody of heist films in general, um, particularly the Oceans movies. But when I... This is not... Most people who watch this are not authors. <laughs> they don't publish stuff. They don't know how any of this what, stuff works. What, Robbie? That can't be right. So they, they probably go, eh, who cares? But when I'm in this literally every day of my life, I go, "It this doesn't make any sense to me. And this is the craziest thing about this particular part to me, is that you pick your J.K. Rowling analog to be like the poster child. Literally, the maybe the most famous author alive? Like, name a more famous yeah. author than J.K. Rowling. It's tough. Like Stephen King? Yeah. Maybe? Like, I don't think so, though. I think J.K. Rowling's number one most famous author alive. And, uh, I mean, I'm here on the record. J.K. Rowling's a terrible person. You shouldn't support her in any way. Uh, stop buying Harry Potter things. Um, I'll just say that because I mentioned her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, using that as like, oh, we don't, she, they're not real. T.R. Francis is not a real person. They're a ghostwriter. And like, no, there are, and there are absolutely ghostwriters out there. There's many ghostwriters. I know some of the people who are employed by being ghostwriters, at least some of the time, but it's never in situations like this. It's, it's, it, it, it's never in big publicity books, right? Any famous book series, mm -hmm. the brand of the author becomes a selling point right that is why when you look at a book cover and you have the the in book covers like a lot of the time now are just huge and huge letters author name huge letters title name and the cover is kind of just a picture right it's not or like colors because the author mm -hmm. is the most important thing it's that brand right it's about building a brand yeah Rather than the actual... You won't have a fake person. You have someone who actually can get out there and make social media videos and stuff like that. I mean, I know this came out in 2011, so it's a slightly different world. But this is the first example of Robbie goes, ah, oh, that's not how it works. And I go, uh, like, I still understand Lisa's, like, trajectory in this where she's like, but I thought this was a real person. I'm like, that's, I understand. Uh, but it kind of loses its impact on me. We go to our first commercial... At four minutes and 16 seconds, really short first act. Really short first act. And they get right into this whole book job thing uh, because we start off with Lisa complaining to Homer and wanting to burn her Angelica Button books. Can I have my allowance early? I need to buy some carbon offset credits so I can burn all my Angelica Button books. Oh, honey, I'm sorry your book lady turned out to be a dinosaur. But you like the stories when you read them. So what does it matter? Doesn't it bother you that Betty Crocker is an invention of 20s era ad men? I know you're hurting, but that's no reason to lash out at me. Can you believe publishers would lie to their readers just to make an easy million bucks? A million bucks? Every book on the young adult charts is written by five idiots who just want to take advantage of kids. <gasps> I know five idiots. And they just cash their checks and get away with it every time. It's the perfect crime. As long as you don't mind betraying the trust of vulnerable young minds. The perfect crime, eh? <laughs> So, yes, uh, we have the plot laid out. Homer is going to write a young adult novel 
uh, with the help of some other people in order to win a million dollars. Well, not win, but like earn a million dollars. Robbie, how do you feel about that? <laughs> this is the next part where I go. This is insane. This is not. Uh-huh. This, is, this is not ever would never happen in ever a million years. If you want to make a quick buck, you don't write books. That's the dumbest. Unless you're already a very famous person. If you're if you're already a very famous and probably rich person. You can make a lot of money by writing a one book, but the vast majority of authors make no money immediately, and they don't make real money until years down the line. Right, years and years of even working. if it even if it's young adult literature, which still to this day remains a gobsmackingly popular category. It's still very, it's it's very popular, but I will also add that YA nowadays is so like they have that scene later on uh, about vampires being mm-hmm. everywhere. Uh, it's just so crowded. It's so it's incredibly competitive. So yeah, it's still very popular, but there's so much competition that it's very hard to stand out um, as a anyone writing YA of any kind. I don't like. I can still I understand the idea here because it I they they do clearly like like they build a foundation of like where they set up why all these things are happening. It just does not mimic the real world in any way. No, this is, this is very much a stylized version of how this works in order to make this fit into a heist movie uh, formula. And I like a lot of the stuff it ends up doing because I'm a writer. So of course I'm going to like a story that revolves around writing stuff. Um, But the, this is when I get to more of a, a general heist movie question back. Because you are you you love heist movies, uh, and anything I do, any I, do. Heist, I, and, I love or, putting together of a crew, or even heist epi- episodes of television shows, ones that when they like this, where they do a heist. Yes. It, when you watch, and I think I like I'm using I'm going to use Ocean's Eleven as an example because it is probably the most famous heist movie that exists. Definitely. Um, do I think that the security of a casino mimics? the one they show in a movie in that movie hopefully not no i don't i don't think it represents an actual casino security however i feel like it does mimic a certain sense of reality and i think that is again why i bring up the publishing industry so stuff do you when you're watching a heist film does the heist ever actually have to take in does reality have to enter in to the 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 how they pull off the heist the 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 setup to how they're doing it does that matter no no I don't okay think it does okay no reality who cares let's just build a a science fiction especially in the season twenty three Simpsons <laughs> episode I know that's and the, that's what I try to keep in mind then I'm like I don't think the reality of this actually matters that much but it certainly intruded on my thoughts as we were going all right moving along then so Homer puts together his crew. Uh, he starts out with Bart, uh, who he has apparently run many heists before. They talk about the Kansas City job. They get Skinner, uh, who knows everything about kids because he's a high school principal. Don't really see that those two things are 100% align, but okay. Uh, we then get Patty, who has read every young adult book. They sh- they show a bookshelf in her apartment with, what would you say, maybe 100 YA books on that shelf, Robbie? There are so many more than that. <laughs> I was going to say, that's yeah, that's not... Very, I like it. I mean, to be fair, like there's a, Matt. You, sometimes you lose, you, you 
you put yourself in a bubble of you know your circle of close friends right and people you know and interact with on a regular basis and most people's houses i go to or i'll visit have many books i have a lot of books a lot of my close friends all have lots of books or as many books as they could fit in whatever kind of living situation they're in i'm i'm a reader i'm friends with readers occasionally you might nerds 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 you step out of that bubble and you go to like a normal person's house and they have like nine books there total and you that's like that that cold stark reality of like oh right most people don't read books so to an average person you know a hundred books or a couple hundred books is a lot of books seems like a lot yes that's true right i think that's what they're going for I, I guess I have at least 200 books in one room of my house. So, man, I mean, sure, I, all right. I literally can look over at the walls and I have probably 500 books in my just my office. And then that's not even counting all the books in the other rooms of the house. My wife, <laughs> literally the other day we were cleaning and there is stacks of books in our like little sitting area. And she's like, what about all those books? I'm like, those are the books for this part. Of the, the room of the house, we keep, those books stay. Those are these are these books stay. This is the stack for here, and then I have you can never have enough bookshelves in the house. Well, then there's another stack over. Like I, you know, there's just stacks of books because I, I buy books. Like I don't see. That's the thing. Like I, I'm not. I don't. So read. what we're saying is, people who watch The Simpsons in season 23 are not book people, and this is meant to be impressive. I, to them. I don't know. They they do expect you to like really know about Neil Gaiman. I think. That's true. That's true. All right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Bart and Homer then try to recruit Lenny, but he's busy because he has got a capuchin monkey. Okay. Uh, Mo begs to get in on the crew, though, uh, brandishing all kinds of credentials as a children's writer. Terrifying. See, see, Matt, this is the part where I go, Mo is the only one who is actually qualified. Okay. He is the only one in this group who knows what he's talking about. (laughs) All these he's yeah. and he's and he's the one who doesn't trust Neil Gaiman. I've proven correct. Mo is the one, the only one in this group that I actually like. Can, Patty maybe some because of how many books she's read. Um, but Bart doesn't read. Skinner, I think I I would bet Skinner only reads like nonfiction, like like history books. Oh, I'm, for sure. I'm yeah. guessing Frank probably reads like engineering manuals. Uh, he probably also reads a lot of a lot of uh, hard sci-fi. Neil Stevenson. Yeah, yeah. Frank's a Neil Stevenson. Exactly. Probably. Exactly. But I would just say Mo and Patty are probably the ones who are actually qualified here. Right? Like Oh yeah. They're I'm, the ones who, I'm just who saying. know something about writing for children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but like Robbie said, our last member of the cabal is Frank, who is the computer guy, who doesn't even want in. They just show up and say, Hey, you're a computer guy. All right, you're in. And he goes, uh, okay. Uh we then see uh Lisa learning about the conspiracy as they're talking about it. And saying, "Oh no, this is terrible! How would you do this? Uh, you know, this is this is soulless. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't take advantage of people like this. I'm going to write my own book to show you how it's done." And we basically said, "I would almost call this the B plot because of how disconnected it is. Because it's just writing jokes, uh, which I'm sure you enjoyed thoroughly, and people will probably get and find a little funny. Uh, but that's really the only reason Lisa is there until the very end. Otherwise, she doesn't interact with them at all." It it's I think it matters, Matt. Like I wouldn't call it a. It is just it is just a counterpoint to. It is like yeah, it is just for writing. Like not. It's more about not writing jokes really than writing jokes. But it is the idea of like oh well, we have this like montage of the the crew writing with Lisa also 
not writing. Uh, yeah. Like, the, like a pair, and they're parallel. Like, they tell them alongside each other. And, like, so I get it, and it makes sense. And Lisa does get involved later on this episode. So it is just, I think partially it is, like, just to put in some writing jokes. But it is also there to make us, like, let us remember, like, oh, no, Lisa's still part of this plot. She has not been just tossed off, right? She is still there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so from here, we move on to the crew uh, basically talking about that they're getting together for an idea session to bit what they want their book to be. And it is just trope, 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 trope. Okay, we've cased a lot of tween books. What's their M.O.? The heroes are all orphans. And they're set in a place kids relate to, say, a school. But it's actually magic. And the protagonist always discovers that he is supernatural. Okay, our book will be about an orphan who goes to a magical school where he discovers he's a vampire. Vampires? Like these? Huh? Or those? Huh? Or these guys? Huh? Oh. So many vampires with the fangs and the capes and the medals. Nobody knows how they earned them. Hey, this job's falling apart. Everyone head for a different airport, and we meet in Rio in a year with new faces. No one's going anywhere. Okay, the vampire genre is sucked out. All we gotta do is find a new monster to be our hero. Ah! A troll! Hey, I ain't a troll. Look, I bleed red, just like you. The first part is always green, but it, it turns red. A troll, that's it. Our book could be about an orphan troll. Trolls live under bridges. The school should be under a bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge. And the cool kids are elves. The cheerleaders are pixies. The stoners are uh, gargoyles. And they play a complicated sport, which makes no sense, called fuzzle pitch. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> We've cracked it. We're gonna be rich. Pardon me. But are you scheming to co-author a successful series of children's fantasy novels? Okay, Stonehenge, let's see how good you are at eavesdropping without a trope. Uh, don't kill him! That's Neil Gaiman! I don't care if he's the guy who wrote Sandman Volume 1, Preludes and Nocturnes. No one spies on us. Perhaps someone of my experience would be a valuable addition to your crew. The king of fantasy books on our fantasy book writing team? Okay, Gaiman, you're in. Your job is to get lunch and lose the British accent. Cheeseburgers, french fries, I'm all over that, pal. This episode might be worth it entirely to hear no game in an American accent. Just going to put that out there. It's fun. I will say that. It's fun. <laughs> it is. Because Neil Gaiman is here purely as comic relief. He doesn't contribute materially to this in any way, which feels like the right choice here. You don't want him taking over or providing advice or anything like that, because that's not funny or interesting. It's just him being him. But this, this is good. Uh, next up, oh, go ahead. I, 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 I'm, it's, I, I just getting over all of the, like the, <laughs> the real world things where it's, it's not Lisa's weird hangups, like how, what they're doing is evil, right? Like it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's it's just writing a book with a bunch of people. It's still writing. Like I don't like that's the other thing. Like this weird pure, like this weird puritanical. Like oh, it's not actually a book or good because it's written to try and make money, and or it's like or because there's a bunch of people who instead of putting all their names on it, they put on some pen name. They put it under one pen name. It I it it's you're still getting the 
story you're getting. Like you're not, it's not false advertising, Lisa. You're still you're buying a story and you're getting a story. Yeah, most authors write things that people want to read. I know that's hard for some people to to, to, to take, but most authors like there are a few authors out there who just put out their books or you know writings because they have it inside of them and they need to. And that's honestly probably a lot of the writers who succeed is people who put out something that they really, really just have to get out of themselves and can't stop themselves from putting out. Uh, but also a lot of them, especially, you know, second time authors, they look at what worked in their first book and said, I can do more of that in order to, you know, make a career of it. Because unless you put out things that people want to read, it's going to be very hard to be a writer. It's, I, it's like, okay, I could spend hours talking about this, Matt, but I'm just going to say it's very, like, it's very, very, like, is a very weird stance, at least. To, I mean, she's a child, but it's also like, it doesn't, like, are we really complaining? This is where we're at. And they, and the show itself is not, I don't think, even taking the stance. It's just Lisa, but I do, I need to, again, it provokes feelings in me. What do you do with making right, me we'll, feel things? We'll pass How this dare to Robbie, you? Robbie can. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby can come down off of his, uh, his very special high horse. Um, so we then get a montage of the two groups writing. Uh, the the crew, the cabal, as it were, uh, are all taking separate sections. and They're working together. They're getting a lot of stuff done. They have completely finished their book and printed it on Lisa's printer uh, before Lisa has even gotten any words down. Because she's getting distracted by you know organizing her CDs and doing little things like that that aren't actually about the writing. But writing is hard. Robbie, as a writer, can tell you writing is really hard. Uh, and it's pretty it's easy. Not can... It's easy. <laughs> Robbie, d- don't convince people to throw their lives away being a writer. Come on now. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying I, I don't know. I'm not maybe the person I ask because I'm very uh, productive generally. I'm pretty like I, I there are I've definitely gone through times where I haven't been able to write. It happens to everybody. But I'm also not of not definitely not a person who is like. Oh no, I can't write. I'm going to I'm going to go clean my house. Like no, that's not. I don't know. I'm there's a maybe I'm just done it enough that I don't really think about that stuff anymore. But it it, it, is, it is very clearly like this all this Lisa stuff is very much like oh, I'm going to instead of writing, I'm going to put together a playlist for my book. Instead of writing, I'm going to clean my windows. Instead of writing, I'm going to get coffee. You're like, "Okay, yeah. I get it." Yeah. It's all like the hack jokes from Twitter's early days about writers. Uh, We'll get to the coffee shop eventually. Don't worry. Um, But this is where we finish act two and go to a commercial. Um, We come back at 12 minutes and 36 seconds. We have the Springfield Book Fair. Uh, We had a little Easter egg with the rock bottom remainders, which I I, those are those are Easter eggs for me. Uh, yeah, and for me, anyone who knows authors knows the rock bottom remainders. Yeah, the, the rock band, the authors, the author rock band um, that I don't think exists anymore. But they're the, the the crew is there to sell their book. This is hey Matt. I'm, yeah, you, this is the part that's really going to hurt Robbie. This, this, is, this is not. This is not even a facsimile of reality. This is so <laughs> contrived. Well, this is this is the part where reality is shoved out the window so they can put in this like, okay, we have this idea of like in order to make this fit in the heist genre or or get to cram publishing and you have that one powerful gatekeeper that the group has to overcome. And oh, what do you know? It happens to be Andy Garcia, the over the the gatekeeper in the Ocean's Eleven movies. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's the big bad effectively in the Ocean's. Well, the first movie then becomes their friend later on. Right. I don't. I forget the plots of the latter 
Ocean's movies. But we meet this tween-lit publisher, and they try and sell their book. This is a really good book. We know. We wrote it. I laminated the lunch menus and put them in a binder. But we have a problem here. Where's your fake author? Fake author? Fake author. If you don't have a made-up author with an inspirational tale, you don't have a book. Where's your Franklin W. Dixon? Where is your T.R. Francis? Where is your Stephen King? Stupid, stupid, stupid! We forgot to create a fake author. That was Gaiman's job. Let's acid melt him in a bathtub. Okay, stay frosty. All we need to do is find some sap to pretend to be the writer of our book. So hit the floor and find some pathetic wannabe author. Coming to the book fair sure was a great idea, because you can't write if you don't know what the competition's up to. <laughs> a dog wrote a bestseller? Ah! All I've done is procrastinate! Oh, who am I kidding? There will never be a book with my name on it. Or your name could be on a book in ten minutes. Do I have to do any writing? No. Amen. I'd read that. This dog. is where the two plots kind of come back together. I'd read the dog's book. To be fair. Well, of course. I'd it was written it. by I mean, a dog. It was written by a dog. The dog did that dog write that book? It's pretty good. Dog's writing book. That <laughs> must be a talented dog. Um, yeah, this ain't this is not any rep, good rep actual representation of how books are sold. You generally most you need a, you, you you get an agent and they actually try and sell your book in most cases. Very rarely do you not have a an agent represent you to a publisher, uh, especially if there's some giant publisher that can offer a million dollars. And there are certainly books. There are certainly people, authors who've gotten giant checks for their very first book. It's not, it, it's a, it's a very, 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 very small percentage of people, but it does happen. So that part's not crazy. Um, it's possible, but they're not going to just, you're not going to have them. How do they get this meaning? They don't care. It doesn't matter. Um, so Lisa agrees to get, to be the fake identity for the, the author and the book is bought for a million dollars. Um, the, the crew celebrates they've won their, they won basically, right? They've gotten what they needed. They got mm-hmm. their million dollars. This is the quote unquote heist, right? This is like their, this is the, if you're following the heist movie template, this is the, Oh, they think they've won part and then before the complications come in, before the complications come in, they the, just in this case in the Simpsons version, the complications are them getting kind of ha- being in this quagmire about their artistic output, which I actually do like a lot. I think that's really interesting twist on the formula of like, oh, instead of the heist being about a, it's not technical complications like oh. Our little acrobat guy got caught somewhere, or oh no, the cops showed up at this one spot, and so one of our guys isn't going to be at this other spot later on. Those kind of complications. This is more of a oh, this is more of an ethical quandary, right? That's slowing them down, which I do appreciate that twist. Um, Lisa's already having regrets about having her name on a book she didn't write, um, but. That is not the biggest problem, which is this is here where we get the actual complication because the uh, the crews gathered up, they're celebrating at Moe's, and then we they get an early copy of the book. And oh no, gentlemen, to the troll twins of Underbridge Academy. Woo! So does it square us for Kansas City? Square us, golden books, pop. What happened to me? In one vulnerable moment, I became the thing I hated most. A literary fraud. 
But, Lise, when this book comes out, you'll be beloved. Not just by Millhouse's, you'll get attention from Jackson's, Xander's, even Aiden's. Oh, I've always wanted an Aiden. Here it is, an advanced copy. The Vampire Twins of Transylvania Prep? Where's the trolls? The trolls are now vampires, the Brooklyn Bridge is now a castle, and Fuzzle Pitch is now Blood Ball. Oh, weak, weak, and lame! How could the publishers change our book? If they had been in charge of the Sistine Chapel, the whole thing would be vampires instead of the Pope's private naked dude mural. Look, we market tested the book, and it really got dinged on the whole trolls thing. I mean, dinged. So we made some changes. Don't feel bad. Before we got our hands on Twilight, it was about a girl who fell in love with a golem. But teenagers weren't going to spend their allowances to join Team Shmuel. But the trolls were the best part! Do the characters still say trolley instead of cool? No. Oh, that is still untrolly! Hey, if you don't want your words changed, write a screenplay. We own your book. So why don't you go and cry into your million-dollar check? How could they do this to our book? It was the singular vision of seven people. No way! What you're feeling is called pride of authorship. You thought you only cared about money, but you actually care more about what you've created together. British Fonzie is right. Our story is actually more important than money. I was going to buy the apartment next door and fill it with dolls. But now that just sounds stupid. They can't do this to us. We've got to fight back. Yeah, let's go. Oh, yeah. He's right. We gotta fight. Rule number one of book heists. Never fall in love with the book. We queer the deal, we lose the money. Bart, remember the thousand-year war between the trolls and the ogres? Yeah. Now it's a dance contest at the vampire prom. <gasps> let's steal back our book. I'm a Bart's original and this don't fall in love with the book. You literally wrote this for money. <laughs> I, like, oh. This is the part where I can't overlook all this stuff I'm at where I go, right, this isn't how any of this works. I don't know what is going yeah. on at this point. And this is the part where I start falling apart. Like, oh, I don't understand what this the plot is anymore. Like, I don't understand what the heist is actually doing anymore. Uh, this isn't how it works, and like it's so divorced from a reality that I can't. I just go, oh, okay, stuff. It's just kind of st- a lot of stuff happening. A lot of like, oh, things ha- like, oh yeah, they're. I understand what they're trying to tell me. I just go, oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, one, yeah, once you sell your book to the publisher, it's their book. They get to they get to decide what's published. It, that is the that's how it works man it's what you did that's what that's why they gave you a million dollars uh i do also this this is the singular idea of seven people made me laugh <laughs> i that was uh, that that was my favorite line in the whole episode so it, it get me it got me there but also pride of i assumed you would enjoy that yes uh the singular idea of seven people very funny um the i again like it's just if they think it's going to sell more, whatever. They pay you a million dollars. You're like, you're putting a pet. You're not names not on this anymore. You can go use that million dollars to write more books. I think that's the other thing about this, Matt, is like when you start writing lots of books, this is not a thing most people can relate to. <laughs> but <laughs> most what? people have not written one book. But I've written a lot of books and published a lot of books. And after a certain point, a one any one of those books means like i yes i'm proud of it and yes i'm i i have you know feelings of ownership over it but 
I am not a single book. That is not that I am more than that, right? As an author, and most authors, I think, would also say that. You ask Stephen King, who's written hun- over a hundred books, and you'd be like, "Is he just The Shining? Is he just it?" No, he's all of those books. Um, it doesn't really. So one of you have one book that's not what you wanted it to be, and you got a million dollars for it, a million dollars, and you're going to tear up that check. It is absolutely insane, um, and, and like. This whole episode kind of doesn't even bother. Like, we haven't really talked about all the framing mechanisms this has, where you're getting lots of title cards, right, that represent, you know, things that are in other heist movies, right, where you get, like, Mm -hmm. the crew and, like, them, the heist and, like, all, like, them, like, and them playing with the tropes of heist movies while they're also discussing tropes of books, of, of the YA books. And... This whole episode, I doesn't mostly really bother with being real in that way either. Like, it's definitely not a normal Simpsons episode, and it doesn't even try to be. Um, so obviously, if they want a million dollars, that upends the status quo. You can't keep the Simpsons like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it would be a different show immediately. Um, maybe not that different of a show because they don't really care if Homer goes to a job anymore. Um, but. Like that's not even brought up at all. Like, what is Homer? Is he not working this whole time? Writing? No, book, of course not. Writing books takes lots of time. That, that gets in the way of all this. I was. I mean, Frank. I mean, we don't know what Frank theoretically is a freelance scientist, right? Just sells inventions. Is that? Have we ever talked about what Frank does for a living? No, he's just the science guy. Okay, got it. it it's like they don't care about the reality of this, and I. So I'm going like, okay, yeah, you tear up the check because that's what you would do in a heist movie. That's why it works. I do. Mm-hmm. I in in real life, I'd go. That's the stupidest thing you could ever do. Write it. You can write many more books and put them under your own name if you really want to. Like, there's no rules about any of this. Um, we go to our final commercial at 17 minutes and 11 seconds. When we come back, uh, we get a pretty short fourth act. Uh, we get the actual heist. Uh, all, all of the cabal show up at the, I guess, the publisher's printing facility. Uh, Skinner talks his way in by making up a weird lie about a pizza place that delivers pizzas to everywhere and then the places that want them give them money uh it's real dumb i mean uh, i not see what the security guards say that's a bad idea but let's say like it's six o'clock okay and a guy knocks on your door and you and he is holding a pizza and he goes hey do you want this pizza you're like, what do you mean? I didn't order pizza. I'm going to say yes. Like, I, 6 I, o'clock every night, I want a pizza. That's what I mean. Like, if he comes to me at dinner time and he is like, hey, you want a pizza? We're selling pizzas. I'd be like, is it a hot pepperoni pizza? I'd be like, yeah, it's hot pepperoni pizza, large. And it's a reasonable price. Like, it's let's say it's $15. and it's But it's there, in front of you, hot. Are you going to say no? Probably. I mean, probably not. Well, it, it, the thing is, it depends. It's like, are you going to pay $20 for that pizza? Mm. I don't know because you would obviously there's a lot of labor and materials involved in making uh, that many pizzas. Let's but. let's stop talking about the Simpsons. Let's instead do the rest of this podcast on the business model for this theoretical <laughs> pizza delivery place. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the team makes it inside and they're just about to make the switch when they are betrayed. Central computers through here. All we have to do is upload our file and. Kansas City. Kansas City. So you thought you would unruin your book. If it's any consolation, you never had a chance. Woohoo! All right! Someone in your gang tipped me off to your little caper. A traitor? Mm. Mm. 
I bet it's the Earl of Marmalade over here. Oh. No, guys. It was me. <gasps> it can't be. It's always a dame. But why? Because a little girl wants her dream to come true. My name is finally on a book. And they're letting me write the sequel. A hard deadline is just the kick in the pants I need to focus and get some serious writing done. Now to enter the password and to authorize final publication. My favorite theme of wall calendar. Lisa, would you care to do the honors? I'm sorry. Oh, by the way, the audiobook is only available abridged. Abridged! <laughs> Maybe it's because I've only been listening to audiobooks for like 20 years now, but it, I understand that a lot of older audiobooks used to be abridged. But we're talking about a young adult novel. That thing's like maybe 10 hours to begin with. <laughs> Why would you abridge that? You know, the, you can't, it, all this is like jokes that they are just like, they thought of every writing joke they could possibly think of. It's all like, this is, yeah. this is all this also what, like, but I can't. When this is where we get to the heist part of the actual heist, a part of the episode, and I go, none of this makes any sense. Like, you know, this is not how printing books works. Like, this is not like, and also, what happens after the fact? Like, oh, we printed the book we wanted, our actual book, and it's out in stores. No one, yeah, it's like, no one proofed this. No one looked at the output and went, oh yeah, that's what we were going for. No one go like it. That's not again, not how it works. And also, printers printers aren't in some giant skyscraper. They're not. <laughs> they're in industrial <laughs> parks. Yeah, they're in, in some huge in, warehouses. Yeah, exactly. That's that's. And how many people are. that are there? Like eight who are physically packing the book and don't care. <laughs> it's 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 just like there's a lot of logistical things that I'm privy to that I go. What are we doing? What is all this nonsense? And also like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, this is the this is the weakest thing to me here, because I don't I I I don't care. Like I'm just like I don't. What do we fight? What are, what is at stake? Right. The stake. What's at stake is they that they print the book that they actually wanted that they actually wrote. Yeah, they've already torn up the check at this point, so the check is gone. They don't have the money. They just want their book printed. And which, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's still going to be under Lisa's name and no one's going to know that they wrote it. So, OK, I, but it's that's the, then the, the 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 double. We have the double twist, man, because Lisa, the, the double cross. Yes. The, well, the, we have the double cross and then we have the double double cross. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's called a triple cross. Robert. Triple cross. Uh, because it's not. Yes. What do you mean? It's uh, not exponential. I, it is not exponential. Double, nor is it in fact, even geometric. It's just d- adding one each time. Double cross. Squared? It's additive. Add- no, Robbie. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the, the, the cabal shows up out to the bookstore to find, yes, it is the book that they wrote. Uh, and Lisa is there to say, hey, that's right. I switched the flash drives with the original one when I hugged Bart. So, you know, like Robbie said, it's the triple cross. Uh, but then they're super happy about this until Lisa says, it's still my name on the book jacket. And she finds out it's a quadruple cross because Gaiman apparently switched out for a third flash drive that had the original book, but also had his name on it and his picture. And we get an ending where uh, Neil Gaiman is in his normal, like stormy English dark clothing jacket on a Shelbyville beach. And then during the post credits, he's met by Mo who was apparently on his team the entire time, but then Gaiman poisons his drink. 
I I guess. See, Matt, this That's is the, ended. this is the only thing that actually makes any sense to me, and it like this is where like the only reason like Neil Gaiman would actually make any sense in a real story of this nature is because you could have someone. This is where a ghostwriter would make sense. Mm-hmm. You would have a <laughs> you would have someone very famous like Neil Gaiman, where you could sell the book on his name alone, and then you have, but you have someone else write write it mostly which is james patterson <laughs> james patterson <laughs> that's basically james patterson that's what james patterson does right now uh he doesn't write the books <laughs> he just goes like oh i have an idea and then someone goes oh you write this book we're gonna pay you uh, some money uh and you're not only, nearly as much as the, not as much as james patterson james patterson's gonna make <laughs> but your name's to be fair they do put those people's names on the cover of the books right they get credit like it's with someone and small print right but that's something um it's not a complete fake pen name that they're using like which is a lot of ghost writers is like oh we just need a, a use cases like licensed books for like a property like we just want to pump out a bunch of like scooby-doo books or something right something like that we want a YA book that's just a, like set in scooby-doo land middle grade book set in scooby-doo uh, well, some we got a ghostwriter to do it. We want Stranger Things books. You know, the, the, your your two use cases like, oh, I want a Stranger Things books. Well, you can either hire a horror slash genre writer that's very famous, which will help sell that book, or you just get a ghostwriter and use a pen name, and you can kind of have them be whatever you want. Those are that's actually how you would use a ghostwriter. But the fact that Neil Neiman's name is on this is the thing that only makes sense. The only thing that makes sense to me, like, oh, you're spending a lot of money on this book. Um, you might as well have a famous person's name on it so that you can help sell it, and make your money back. Whatever. Um, I'm very torn about this episode, Matt. I I can see why you would be torn. I like this because I like heist movies. I like concise plots that okay, they don't make a lot of sense. But at least they logically flow, for the most part, from point to point to point. But I can definitely see where this would be more difficult for you. Yeah, I think if there was anyone else in my seat, they'd be just like, oh, it's fun. It's a fun episode. And I'd be like, but but actually, that's not. (laughs) That's where I'm at. I I think I agree with you. Like, it's funny. I laughed. Um, I laughed at a lot of the writing jokes. I laughed a lot. Uh, I thought Neo Gaiman was really entertaining. Um, I laughed at a lot of the heist trope stuff they use. I just, it's very hard for me to disentangle all my real world knowledge of publishing uh, and jive with this. This uh, I still think it's maybe the best episode of season 23 so far. Um, probably is. It is It is concise and it is, it is funny and it doesn't waste time and Neil Gaiman's good and I, I don't know. I don't. How do you feel about the Kansas City gag? I like that because it, every heist movie, every tropey based heist movie in the Oceans movie, uh, there's one. I it might even have been Kansas City. I don't remember where. You know, these group of people have worked together before, and there was one job that went wrong, and they keep making jokes about, oh, it's not going to be like that again. It's gonna be, and it always turns out like that again. But they're able to, you know, flip it again in this one. It's it's a heist movie trope, and. They only go back to it a couple of times. I'm fine with that. Okay. Like if if you don't know heist movies, you don't understand. You might understand the joke, but they don't, you know, hit it that many times. I don't hear hear it, Matt. This is the other juxt- this is the other thing that I think this episode is where I mentioned it earlier, where it's like it's not really a Simpsons episode. It doesn't even try to be because 
like I I recognize the trope. It's more like it doesn't function in both the Simpsons world and in this tr- heist move heist movie parody of the Simpsons because Bart and Homer did not pull a job in Kansas City. <laughs> right? Yeah. The Simpsons is a pastiche. Right. So they can't they're referencing something that didn't happen. They're referencing it only to acknowledge a trope in a heist, in heist movies, which makes who are these characters? Who are these Homer? Who is this Homer and who is this Bart? Right? Are they just like it doesn't actually make any real world sense? I don't mind it. I I just go, oh, that's fun. But it this is like we're at a point where it doesn't really function as a Simpsons episode because none of it actually like why is Neil Gaiman in Springfield? They don't even ever acknowledge that for the book fair. <laughs> no maybe like that's the thing like it doesn't ever try and be a real episode like real like real life it never tries to and there's parts of me where i'm like maybe that's for the best and then maybe i'm like what is this anymore like what are we like what I, i guess i prefer this to like last week's episode which ostensibly took place in a real world but is terrible i don't know um we'll rank it at the end of the show robbie is this episode broken no no, not at all. I'm, I'm not even going to, like, despite all my complaints, my very particular complaints, this episode is <laughs> not broken. It works really well for what it is. This is well, that's good. We, we don't have to fix it. Then. There, I mean, that's what I'm saying, man. There's no, uh, we don't need to, I, you know, despite any, like, you know, like, I don't know. It also gives me, oh, I get to, you know, talk about publishing a little bit on this podcast, which is fun. So can't complain too much. But again, any episode where we don't, where the episode is not broken, I think that's a good, that's a good week. Um, we can move on to our next segment. It's time for comments from the news group. Okay, here we are. Alt.nerd.obsessive. Comments from the news group is where I ask our supporters on patreon.com slash the Simpsons show to leave their review for an episode. And I read them on the air. Uh, Patreon has changed their formatting of their posts. Now it makes me it takes me twice as long to put this stuff in our show notes, and it makes me upset. Hey, Patreon, stop! Why? It was working just fine. I could copy and paste everything nice and smooth, and now I got to do things two or three times over. So, why do they do this to us, Matt? It's because they are trying to eke out every single penny uh, from I, everyone involved I, who's but, not us. I don't, but the, 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 they're just changes for the sake of changes. There's no reason to change. No, no, no. I'm sure. I'm sure there was an AB test somewhere that said, Oh, we got 0.03% more responses from people. If we changed all of this yeah. first from Tim, this was a pretty damn good episode. Fun to follow and a plot that actually makes some level of sense. And a guest star that supplemented rather than distracted from the story to be told like the multiple double takes at the end. If it weren't for a relatively busy weekend would have watched again, looking at where to rank this compared to Bart the murderer for being something of a mystery, but I'll give the edge to the season three episode because how do you supplant Bart being betrayed as a mob boss? Still number one seventeen, Canon, the highest ranking episode of the last eight seasons doesn't need to be fixed in any substantive way. Wow. One seventeen. That that's a little high, but best of the last eight, eight seasons. I mean, I'm not going to argue that it's not. It, it, I don't know if it's going to be the highest, but it's certainly. I mean, it, there's no competition. Like it's easily. I mean, 144 top. is season 16, and that's the only thing I see in the last you know eight seasons. Right. So I mean, we'll get there. Next from Matthew. If you still did best episode ever, or at least best post Golden Years episode ever, this would be my pick. I love heist movies. I love Neil Gaiman. Some easy mark for this one. Movies at a good pace and has some actual laughs in it. Maybe season 23 is the beginning of a turnaround after all. I've I've hoped before, Matthew, and it's never gotten me anywhere. 
<laughs> uh, from Dara, yeah. no snark. This was fun and really damn good. Best episode of season 23 and best episode overall since the President War Pearls in season 15, in my opinion. See, I think that's where we're at, Matt. Is it better than the President War Pearls? That's where we're at. Oh, that's to. a tough one. I yeah. love heist movies. Mm, from talk. Derek. This is the one I remember I really enjoyed. Of course, I was completely underwhelmed watching it this time, but I like I said last week, it, this one moves and flows smoothly, and pacing can do wonders to paper over the cracks. It stands out as something different, which immediately makes it more interesting, so your attention doesn't wane as it goes on. It's just a little bit of fun. That's great. My problem this time was that the homage novelty had worn off, and since this isn't presented as a non-canon movie parody, rather a regular episode, all the characters really annoying me by their inexplicable actions. Homer hates Patty and vice versa. Why is this completely dropped here, and he's more than happy to have her on board? The hell are Homer and Bart talking about with continual references to Kansas City? This is what I'm talking about. Like, they're not... Who, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the, repetition, the repetition really warned me. It's clearly a standout offering in this era of misery, but I think most people see this and recognize how much better it is and so praise it as being one of the greats. But is it really all that... I mean, it's fun. It's enjoyable, and I'm perfectly happy with the show being of this standard if it must continue. But whereas the show in its heyday was eternal, this doesn't hold up to repeated viewings. It is merely ephemeral. Vocabulary. I'm sorry, Derek. You don't understand the the heist movie tropes. I don't think that's. I don't. The under Matt. It's not the understanding. It's the appreciation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I mentioned it twice. I, I don't know what their repetition is. It's when it happens, and then when they say, "Oh, it happens again." And I think they do it three times. I think they mention Kansas City three times. Was I want to say okay. three times, but I, and I think that's the right. Like you know, three times a charm. That is the amount of times you should do it. If you're going to use a trope, you do it three times. You know, the first one to open to bring it in, the second time to kind of poke at it, and the third one to bring it, to round it all out. I don't mind it, but it does like I mentioned it because it does make no sense in the context of the Simpsons universe. Why are Homer and Bart talking about Kansas City? Have they been to Kansas City? Good mm-hmm. question. I don't know. For finally from JJ, I really enjoyed this. It's fun, witty. I laugh consistently. And actually, has something to say. The way Homer and Bart's book is taken and changed against their will can be seen as an analogy for the current state of the show and its inadequate writing process. As episodes, or rather books, are pumped out to meet demand with no time or regard for quality. This was legitimately their intention. It's the most self-aware the show has been in years. Meanwhile, Lisa's writer's block is incredibly accurate and relatable and connects seamlessly to the main plot. This is normally when there'd be a but, as even the decent post-golden years episodes usually stumble somewhere. There's not a single problem with this. It's extremely competent. Even the ending works. It feels weird to write a good review for once. Maybe not top 100 because the bar is so high, but top 150 at least. Mm. See, everyone... It seems like every all the all the 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 the, the patrons not like like this a lot, and I think like it more than I do. Maybe even more than you do. I'm not positive about that, but I, I think they like it more than I do because I enjoy this movie, and you know me, I love uh, I enjoy this episode. I enjoy heist movies quite a lot, but there are obvious places where it kind of stretches and sags a little bit. Um, but that's it for the for reviews or for comments from the group. Appreciate all y'all who watch the episode. Take the time to write a review. I understand the amount of time it takes. Uh, if you want to join our cavalcade of calamity or parade of pain, just join our Patreon. Spoilers at any level can leave a review. Next up is time for the listener question of the week. Let's try one more number. <gasps> Yellow. KBBL is going to give me something stupid. Well, hot dog, we have a wiener. Yellow. Our listener question of the week this week is what is your favorite episode written by Matt Selman? I think at this point, Matt Selman has probably made more episodes as a showrunner than he has as a writer. But yeah. I, don't, I don't know if we've ever... I, we probably did do a Matt Selman written episode question back in the day, but it's it's, a, it's been a while. Matt, take it away. All right. First up from Derek. 
probably natural born kissers. I know fans write off season nine, but I think it's another strong classic season helmed for the most part by Mike Scully. Episodes like this are why. For one thing, the episode is adult in a way the show hasn't really been before, not just because Homer and Marge run around in the nip, but because of the grown up tone. Never has Homer and Marge's marriage felt this real and raw. That awkward attempt at foreplay brings the funnies, but also really feels like a marriage that has stagnated. This was also a rarity to see on TV, and when it came out on DVD, Little Child B was shocked to see it as late as Season 9, thinking it was a really early classic. Of course, in 2005, Season 9 really was a vintage by that point. <laughs> oh, keep reminding us how young you are, Derek. Come on, it makes us feel old. Uh, from Aaron, Trilogy of Error is one of my favorite episodes, so I have to go with that. But I also want to mention the latter-day episode, There Will Be Buds, featuring Kirk as a lacrosse coach. I don't even remember that episode. That's the great part about completely forgetting all these late season 20 episodes that we've done new episode reviews for, Robbie. When we get around to them again, I'm going to not even recognize them at all. Uh, from Dara, Behind the Laughter is a great parody. I remember my friends and I all going, aha, at them, saying the Simpsons were a northern Kentucky family. <laughs> Uh, from JJ, the Simpsons World segment from last year's Treehouse of Horror. Seven minutes of pure fan service, but also incredibly creative in how it used all the classic Simpsons callbacks. I rewatched it several times just to see what references I missed. Uh, from Tim, uh, Trilogy of Error. Yes, this is to have both have a high-level concept and execute well. Springfield's cast of characters are developed in a believable way in this one, especially Dr. Nick. Inflammable means flammable. What a country! Uh, from Andy, I am probably the only one, but Bart gets a Z. Probably Andy, sorry. Uh, from Gonzo the Great 93, Trilogy of Arrow. Linguo dead. Linguo is dead. <laughs> from, Infinite, <laughs> from Infinite Curve 4927, Lisa the Tree Hugger. Even though I find Selman's output a slog, I love the outro of This Log is Your Log. And comic book guys, horror. It's a g -g 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 girl while pointing at Lisa who's wearing her pearls. I also love Selman's Trilogy of Error for being funny and a breath of fresh air, but that doesn't have eagle rabble rousers or mo point onions into his trousers. It's rhyming, man. It's just, you're not singing the song, Matt. He's saying he wrote us a song. You're not singing it. Oh, okay, okay. It rhymes. Rabble rousers, trousers. There you go. Or Springfield in the Lynch Mob, or Joshua Jackson as Lisa's heartthrob. Lisa the Tree Hugger. I'll never forget. I was trying to figure out why they're. You guys can't see this in our show notes, but there's a whole bunch of extra lines in between, and I'm just like, what is going on here? Here, Matt. Here you are. Anyway. <laughs> give me a second. <clears throat> We're going to give this a proper limerick treatment. Okay. I don't think it's actually a limerick, but uh, Lisa the Treehugger, even though I find Selman's output a slog, I love the outro of This Log is Your Log. In comic book guys' horror, it's a g-g-g-g-girl while pointing at Lisa, who's wearing her pearls. Also love Selman's trilogy of error for being funny in a breath of, a breath of fresh air, but that doesn't have eco rabble rousers or Mo pouring onions into his trousers, or Springfield uniting in a lynch mob, or Joshua Jackson as Lisa's heartthrob, Lisa the tree hugger. I'll never forget. Did they ever stop that log? No, not yet. Okay. See, that well, proper thank you for identifying proper the, performance the that I did not see. Mm -hmm. Proper performance. And I do want to salute. That is maybe, I think that's the first time we've that gotten is beautiful, a, a, man. a little a, a rhyme poem of, of so proper I, applause, golf clap. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Infinite Gur 4927. That was beautiful. Uh, next up from Kasumi Ryleth, they saved Lisa's brain. Both the A plot and B plot were amazing. It also had Stephen Hawking coming into the utopia and instead finding a fruitopia. Also, a donut-shaped universe does sound good. Take that, East St. Louis. <laughs> and finally from Brian, Treehouse of Horror 33 is just too good. 
the fact that The Simpsons delivered an episode on par with Golden Years episodes that could only work in the modern day. Each of the Simpsons segments is good in their own special way. The Pookadook is haunting but heartwarming. Death Tome is gorgeous, gory, and a comedic riot. Simpsons World is every Simpsons fan's dream. They avoid hip trends, which most of season 34 uses. They don't have 5,000 celebrities living two lines. It's funny. They don't use gross-out humor. Does this sound familiar? This and season 35's Trials of Horror are polar opposites. What a classic. I hope it wins the Emmy. You were not wrong there. This year's was decidedly lackluster compared to that one. Eh. Robbie. What is your answer? Oh, it's fine. Uh, my answer is Trilogy of Air. I, I like it's it's so it's like I think it is like still to this day the best. I looked over every single episode he's written, and I still to this day think it's like the tightest. It's the most impactful. It's the one that works the best as intended. I want to say, even yeah, though it's I, it's is that your answer, Matt? Uh, it is also my answer. Yes, just because it is a play on the Simpsons formula that feels true to the Simpsons characters while giving them something new to do. Um, I would argue that the, the episodes he show run, I think has, he has helped craft overall better episodes than anything he's ever written directly. Um, and if his impact as a showrunner is the thing being felt most drastically on the most recent couple seasons, then I would say that he's absolutely directly responsible for the show being generally just watchable again. <laughs> watchable. Yay. <laughs> I mean, it's a bar that we're not at yet, Matt. Season 23 overall is not watchable. There's a couple good episodes, a couple episodes I, I would watch again, but largely so far in season 22, like there's not, I would not watch like if you say, Hey, should I watch season 22 of the Simpsons? No, no, of course not. No, don't. So I'll give Matt some credit for that particular uh next week's question what is your favorite childhood book does that have you know another non-simpsons question non-simpsons question and then above that uh childhood is a a variable time so if you have something from when you're uh, barely born to your early 20s we'll include all of those. all those books you read when you were eight months old i want uh, you should absolutely include or your those. parents read to you i don't I, i'm gonna is that a i don't think i'm like I'm almost positive my parents did read me books, Matt. I'm almost positive. Like, my mother in particular is almost guaranteed that she read me books. I don't remember a single instance of it. Yeah, I don't either, but I know it happened. I have no memory of it. So when people are like, oh, I remember when my my parents read me books, I'm like, I'm sure it happened. I don't remember. I was a baby. I don't all my high school concussions drove all those memories from my brain forever. I'm not going to remember that stuff. <laughs> Uh, that's next week. I post on our subreddit, which is R the Simpsons show. Uh, you can email us at simpsonshippod at gmail.com or answer questions on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Simpsons show. Move on to our next segment. It's time for the no Google trivia challenge. I am too smart. I am too smart. S M R T. I mean, S M A R R T. The no Google trivia challenge where Matt and I each challenge each other with three trivia questions. One easy, one medium. And one hard, and try and stump the other. Um, I have a lead so far this season, despite Matt's best efforts of the most maniacal mm-hmm. questions I've ever heard in my entire life. I picked a very easy episode this week, and I made sure that the easy question was so easy, even people who have never watched The Simpsons can get it. So Cut. hopefully so you this can is, handle that. We're gonna pa- I'm going to pause right now with the recording, and this is going to be a, a quick cut to me getting the, the, the question wrong. <laughs> If you do, I give up. I can't ask easy enough questions. <laughs> All right, Matt, are you ready for an easy question? 
I am ready. In Diatribe of a Mad Housewife. Oh, God. Marge writes what? Uh, I believe she writes a uh, a novel, essentially. Okay, can you give it's me like, give me any more detail? It's like, what kind of book it is? It's, it's like a, a whaling novel where Homer is an evil whaler. <laughs> what genre is it, it Matt? Whaling novel is not a genre. Not a genre. Uh, uh, genre? Historical fiction? <laughs> I, 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 what do you call a, a romance novel? There you go. You got it. Okay. <laughs> it's like I mean it's kind of romancy, but it is there's, ab- all, Matt, guess, there's a lot of one thousand it is one thousand percent a romance novel. That's all that it okay, is. It's fine, not a wh- Moby Dick is a whaling novel, I guess, but I don't you're just like you're like it's a whaling <laughs> well, novel. Yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Your easy question. Mm-hmm. What long running VH one show is parodied by Behind the Laughter? Ooh, I know that one. Behind the music. You are correct. Yeah, I got one right. I get a point. You're meeting a question, Matt. Um, in Die Tribe of a Madhouse, wife, Marge meets what famous romance author at Bocaccino's? This is not a real person. This is a, a made-up person. Oh. Oh, God. I mean, um, are you more likely to get it if it's a real person? I mean, maybe. Um, uh, famous author. I, I have no clue. It is Esme Delacroix. That does sound familiar. Okay, okay. All right. In Behind the Laughter, who spit on Lisa when she hosted the Academy Awards? Uh, Lisa says, like, oh, someone, sp- they spit on me. Isn't it? She does that, doesn't she? She's like, they, she, like, mm-hmm. exclaims later on. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of that era. Who would it be? Because it was, like, that's, like, season 12, I want to say. So that'd be, like... 2003 or something. Who would she be referencing? And then um, I'm going to go with just my first gut instinct. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because the Simpsons referenced her a lot in the early days. I'm going to say Brooke Shields. Uh, I'm sorry. This is a classic timeless artist, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. That, that is a good joke. I'll smell like Streep for cheap. (laughs) Your hard question, Matt. What does Homer order at the Krusty Burger? In Diatribe of a Mad Housewife. Oh, God. Nothing about the episode at all. Just what is Homer's order at the Krusty Burger? It's a hard question, man. Uh, yeah, it really is. Um, what is he order? To be fair, it's it's easier than my typical hard questions because he says all of this out loud. I mean, that's fair, but it's also an episode I've only watched like twice. What? I have no clue. That's I, I thought you it, were. I thought it season you, 15? Yeah, isn't that? I thought you would watch it up to that point multiple times. No, I, I usually stop around season eleven and just go ew. <laughs> no, no guesses whatsoever. I, I don't know. Uh, eight crusty burgers, four fries, and uh, uh, a packet of blowholes. <laughs> blowholes? Is that in the? I is don't that, know. Is that a, is that a thing that they? I thought that was in like the. Uh, isn't there a? Is there a Simpsons fish like a seafood fast food place in the Simpsons? Uh, yes. Uh, the the um what was it the um sea captain has a like a powdered blowhole oh, okay. in one of his restaurants so the, you're thinking much too uh to standard in order Matt uh, at this point we are in season 15 so we have divorced ourselves from reality uh homer orders 16 gravy scrapums oh dear god a bucket of twisty lard <laughs> uh 
and two super choker breakfast burritos with macho sauce. All of this mega size <laughs> with a deep fried bag and a deep fried Diet Coke. Dear God, I would never have gotten that. Do I get a hard question? I suppose you do. Sorry, I was choking on all that. Mm-hmm. All right. In Behind the Laughter, Homer joins the legitimate stage for a few performances. What character does he play? King Lear. No, this is not a real one. Mr. Stingley, the landlord. <laughs> he literally chews the scenery. <laughs> I, I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to yell out. the. It's literally the first thing that popped in my mind. Isn't No, he played... Didn't Homer... What was the... Was there a Shakespeare Krusty thing? Krusty played King Lear. Krusty played King Lear. Okay. I was like, there's some... Sp- gotta punch this up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt and I both got one point this this week, uh, which is... That's what I... That's what I want, you know? Keep pace with each other so Matt can't surpass me mm-hmm. with his big brain. He's just too... He's just too smart, guys. Okay? I have to use tricks. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Um... That'll do it for trivia this week. We can move on to our final segment, the segment we end every single episode with. It's time for best episode ever. Best episode ever. Best episode ever is a part show where Matt and I rank the episodes categorically, we watch them chronologically, eventually compiling a list of every episode ever and how good they are. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna lean on you on a lot with this one, Matt, because I don't feel like I'm very. I feel like I'm incredibly biased, and I. That's fair. I don't want it to. I want it to impact the rating a little bit, but I do not want it to over overwhelm the rating with the fact how disconnected from actual publishing this episode is. But also, I am who I am. Um, you yam who you yam. I am who I am. Um, I th- it, the like. Where, well, a good place to start for. Yeah, this. I was going to say, where would you start with the last episode of season twenty-two, the Nedliest Catch. The Nedna episode. I think this is better. I think this is better than that. You know. So okay, I, I okay. So that's number one sixty-five. Yeah, I think it's better than that. Okay, okay. I would agree. All right, moving up, moving up. All right, uh, season sixteen, all's fair in oven war. I think this is definitely better than that. But I will get your input. <laughs> I don't remember what that episode is, Matt. Uh, that's the one where Marge, uh, if I remember correctly, the one where Marge uh, gets at a, a baking competition, uh, making tasty fakes, and then puts baby ear medicine in the other finalists uh, in order to cheat to win, but ends up not winning because uh, she thought Brandine's entry was trash. Okay. I think you're right. I'm, I I obviously can't say a lot because I, I don't really remember most of the <laughs> episode because mm. I've only seen it once. Um, I would, I think when we get to mom and pop art, cause that's only a few spots above it. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is better than mom and pop art. Okay. I, I'm with you there because I think, uh, I remember who it was, but someone mentioned, uh, the president who wore pearls. And I think that is solidly better than this. Yeah. I don't think this, that is, that I don't, is way up there. I don't think that's better than this. Episode. I don't think that this is better than that. I don't think it's better than mom and pop art. I, I think. Mom and Pop Art, I don't know if that's our highest episode in season 10. It's not. Wizard of Evergreen Terrace is up there higher, but um, I think that one's better. Uh, Sleeping with the Enemy is right below it. That's the Nelson episode, right? When Nelson stays with the family? Yes, Nelson stays with the family. Lisa's upset about her big butt. Yeah, I I, I really like that episode. Um, It's very sweet. Um, Like, all of it is, like, 
good. I, I like it's it's I think it's I don't it's, know. it's it's way better than it should season be. Season sixteen has any right to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like those, you're like, oh, that's shouldn't be that good in that season. I but I think we're very close because I think like is it where they save Lisa's brain? That's the Mensa episode, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think this is better than that. You think this is I better than a, this is better than the Mensa episode? Yeah, because the Mensa episode has Stephen Hawking saving Lisa's life with a helicopter that comes out of his uh, chair. That's fair. And I, I think Sleeping with Envy is a very good episode. They, they, Lisa, they say Lisa brain, Lisa's brain is a good episode overall. I think this keeps my attention a lot better these days. I think they say Lisa's brain is very good for season 10. I do agree with you that the kind of the it kind of falls apart towards the end of the episode. Um, and they don't really resolve anything, but it wasn't as bad as a lot of where the show would become where they didn't resolve anything. Mm-hmm. And I think in retrospect, it doesn't seem as bad. Um, I think I'm okay putting this above. They say Lisa's brain and right below sleeping with the enemy. I think that's where I would put it in between those two episodes. Sounds good to me. Okay. I think that is a tempered spot for the book job. Appropriate. Um, it's pretty high, higher than I thought it would be, honestly. Yeah, so, I mean, highest in season 23 for sure. Yes, that is, again, a low bar to clear, but they it clears it, <laughs> it jumps well over it. Um, and like, I think, you know, season 23 has other great episodes in it. I know that, I imagine that, I don't know, when we get to the, 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 the cruise ship episode, we'll really see um, where we're at. Um, cause I'm really, I'm really interested to see where we'll, where we'll put that episode. Um, that's number 145 on our list. The book job right below is sleeping with the enemy right above. They saved Lisa's brain. It is now the 12th best post golden years episode. Matt. That's pretty good. That's hot. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's I'm sure that's lower than some of our listeners would like, but that's eh, where we put eh, that's, it's our list. They can make their own. When when they can go podcast about the Simpsons for ten years and then they make their own list <laughs> with blackjack and hookers. Um exactly. we have one more thing to do, Matt, though. We're not done. Not yet. We have one more thing to do. One more question to answer. That question is do we shoot this episode out of the cannon? The cannon! The cannon! The cannon! The cannon! The cannon! Um it stays the season the cannon. We don't have to fire it though. No, no, oh, for no. sure. Yeah, this yeah. is like, it, it's it's. I can see where you'd make a case for it not being in the cannon because it's it's not really a Simpsons episode. Like I said, it's like a, it's a pastiche of a heist movie that it also has a touch of Simpsons. But honestly, nothing is particularly egregious about it. I mean, I think at this point, Matt, I think if I think they just need if this episode made did a better job, and I think the show was not. It didn't know how to do it. I like strangely. It was it's very weird because you even use like behind the laughter as trivia this this week. And behind the laughter does that. It just does a full on like hey, this is not the Simpsons anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's this I think this episode benefits from that. If they just went this is not the Simpsons anymore. Like and I don't know how you necessarily do that. Like they try they basically do it anyway. But they don't ever like make it explicit. And I think the episode suffers slightly from that where you're just like, wait a minute. You're like the whole time you're like, wait a minute. Is this like, I guess in the episode like, who cares? Why are you doing this? And I'm like, I, cause I'm me. I can't help it. I'm bad. My brain is bad. Simpsons. Okay. It's just, it, I struggle with normal life. I'm sorry. Um, but it stays like as a, as a thing you wanted to discuss as something you should watch and, and talk about in the context of the Simpsons as a whole. Yes, it stays. Of course it does. 
It's an interesting thing because it's actually higher on our list than where we've gotten as we work our way down the list, Matt. Which is it has that hasn't happened in a long time, maybe ever. Yeah. Um. Where now we're working our way down from below the episode we placed. That's a good week. I'll say that. That's a very very good week. And we are currently at number one sixty five on the list as we answer this question about every episode working our way down. It is Homer versus Lisa, Eighth Commandment, which of yes. course. Which, of course, yes, of course. Of course it stays. <laughs> there is no doubt in my mind. I would literally drive over there and fight you if you said that. To I mean, I mean, it's this can. season. I mean, uh, it, we could t- hum, hem and haw about its quality. Its quality as an episode. I think it's good. It's it's a little rough around the edges. It's a little stayed because it's a season two episode. It is. It is. But, like, there there are a few episodes that I just have a special place in my heart for, and that is one of them. That is, if this list was just mine, my favorite episodes, not just like the best episodes ever, but my favorites, it is top 10 easily it's just because home because uh, matt had his own feud with his own father over stealing cable when his, <laughs> and so it, it harkens back to those early days of matt's childhood no 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 no. in my family cable was a given they had cable before i was uh, the night before i was born but like before i even understood what tv was so my you, dad had cable because you, i don't know if this is a common th- it probably wasn't a common thing but uh I, I think it's just because we lived out in the middle of nowhere and they literally had to run cable to our house to get it um but I went to the like our little the little switcher that had they had a little switcher out near where our cable was laid because I'm assuming because we were so remote that if you just open up that little box and you flip the switch, you get more channels. So, <laughs> wow, that sounds great. So that's that's what I did <laughs> when I was old when I was just one day I'm like, wait a minute. What is that little box? And I opened it up, and I'm like, I went, whoop, I just flipped the switch. Oh, I get extra channels now. We get to watch more movies. Uh, We did not pay for that. Who cares? Um, I mean, we had no options. We literally had either that or we didn't have even the satellite wasn't really an option at that point. You know, there was no DirecTV or Dish at that point, really, that was accessible to us. We eventually did get satellite so that we could watch, you know, important things like the knife channel. You ever watched the, the knife channel? You never watched the knife channel, Matt? I can't say that I did. If you have satellite television or a really good cable, pa- I mean, you might not even need a good package, but it's a free. T- it's a free. It's a twenty-four hour knife selling channel. They just sell knives to you twenty-four hours a day. I'm glad there's a channel for that. Would it you like? Would you like a knife that has an eagle on it? Good thing. An American flag. Would you like some katanas? <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm good in uh, edged weaponry for Do the you moment. you need 80 katanas? Because they'll sell you 80 katanas. Really good deal. I have no doubt. Okay. <sighs> that's it. for We didn't fire the cannon this week. It means it's a good week, Matt. That's all that means. Um, that's it for the show. You can find me online. Wait, 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 wait. We had one, one thing. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go. Next episode. The man in the blue flannel pants. Interesting. Very uh, nondescript. Homer becomes an account manager for Mr. Burns. Uh, and Lisa teaching Bart how to read classic novels. It references the man in the gray flannel suit, which is a classic movie starring Gregory Peck. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think it's, which is, it's basically, it's like a serious drama about work-life balance, I think. Oh. Hmm. But I'm assuming that's this is about like a Homer, you know, working a, job and not having time with the kids and the family and stuff um i don't know 
We'll see how it is. That's next week. You can find me online on at Robbie Dorman. Uh, that's at my name. It's my website is RobbieDorman.com. All my social media is Robbie Dorman. Go buy my books. My newest book is called Dead End. I talked about writing a lot. I know what I'm talking about. I do. I published 14 books at this point. I, I know what I'm talking about. Please believe me. Go buy Dead End or any of my books. I think they're all good, uh, especially if you like horror books. But even if you don't, I think you'll still find a lot of joy in them. Um, That's true. I don't enjoy horror books, but all of Robbie's books have been great. It's because Matt doesn't give doesn't give himself a, a, a solid opportunity to read more horror. I'm sure I could point more horror. That's books very in. possible. There I, are too many books in the world. There's yeah. That's you say that again. So many books. Um, Matt does not participate in social media. You will not find him. Uh, that is true. I spend all of my time taking care of kittens, including the one who's currently hiding in the room I'm in, and I cannot find her. Oh, maybe someday I'll find her before she kills me. But yeah, that's how it is with interns. You can see these adorable kittens at Kitten Turns, K-I-T-T-I-N-T-E-R-N-S on Instagram. Uh, they will eventually make their way there so you can see the cuteness and see what stalks my nightmares. Uh, well, until she gets used to me anyway. Well, that will call it a day. I'm Robbie. And I'm Matt. And keep watching The Simpsons. Shh.